Welcome to Optimal Health for Busy Entrepreneurs, the podcast for busy and high-performing entrepreneurs and leaders who are looking to create more energy and optimize their health while upgrading their brain and personal performance with precision. I am your host, Julian Hayes II. I've been involved with health and performance for over a decade. This podcast was created for the high performer who is unapologetically ambitious, the one who moves at a fast pace and operates with an edge, the one who wants to become superhuman. Nothing here is fluff, gimmicky, or feel good. I have little to no interest in simply helping you improve your life. I want to help transform it. By listening to this podcast, expect to have a body that feels just as good as it looks. Expect to possess a swagger and style that gives off an infectious vibe. Expect to command the stage or any boardroom you walk into with your executive presence. And lastly, expect to become your most enhanced self so you can live a limitless life. Now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Optimal Entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Julian Hayes II, back at it again with another fascinating human on the other side of the world, which right. is very interesting. But, you know, <laughs> there's awesome people everywhere in the world. So, but, um, but anyway, this guest today is talking about something that's very important in, in today's times. You know, um, you know, times are tense, especially in the States, but a little bit in the world depending on where you are. And with that comes stress. Running a business as an entrepreneur comes stress. And one of the best things that you could do when it comes to that is to focus on your breathing. And so I have a world's foremost experts on this. And he has a crazy backstory with some twists and turns. And he's a modern day Renaissance man doing a bunch of different things, but uh, just a little bit about him. He's, a, he's an influential spiritual teacher. He's a former pharmacist that's gone renegade. He's a professional musician, a holistic health expert, and lastly, he's the founder of Somer Breath, and I am speaking with Niraj Naik. How's it going, man? Great. Pleasure to be here, my friend. Thank you much, yeah. man. Yeah. Um, Can you hear me all right? I hear you loud and clear. You're, yeah. you're great. You're great over right, here, man. Perfect. Good. Yeah. So um, I'm excited to get started with this dive into this because everyone knows yoga, but this is like, I don't know if this like yoga on steroids or it's a little different. So I, I'm really interested when I was reading up on you and learning about this, it's like, this is very interesting that you're combining a few different things there. But um, one thing I, I did find interesting and it sounded like a movie when I read it was is Instagram post that you talked about how you met your girlfriend. Um, <laughs> and so I'm just curious, ah, the night you met your girlfriend, um, how was your DJ set? Could you still focus? I didn't do it. Oh, you didn't do it? <laughs> I was too busy. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about playing in the end. So uh, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's the end of that story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's I, not... I, it sounded yeah. like a movie. It, it really sounded like a movie. It was, was a like, weird, weird story. Yeah, it was, it was very unexpected. Yeah, I'll mm -hmm. tell you that. Yeah, so um, let's dive into, let's go, before we start with the present, let's go to the past a little bit. And um, like, what's yeah. your origin story? I, how'd you get to where you are right now? So uh, I actually started off uh, as a community pharmacist. So university, uh, that's when I actually got into being a, a DJ, producer, running pr events. Uh, I was more actually on the pr promoter side back then. And I put on a few um, events that led to running like a big rave for like a few years. Uh, meanwhile, trying to balance that with doing a degree. And that's like, a, I mean, we had a big event. It was like 2,000 people every month for like three years. It was an amazing experience. But that hedonistic lifestyle takes a toll. And, you know, I, I, I crashed and burned, to be honest. And that's why I ended up having to go back to finish my degree and become a pharmacist. And that's when I realized what stress really 
working in nine to five, doing something you don't want to do, uh, you know, and, and then just slowly just numbing your life away, you know, that crazy, um, partying kind of lifestyle that we have in, in the UK, you know, drinking bars, clubs and all that. So I just was trying to distract my pain, you know, for as much as possible. And, but I, I had this creative spirit in me. I really wanted to do something meaningful and, I was trying to get involved with the music industry, the mainstream music industry, trying to get into the commercial industry. But I actually befriended a, a guy who managed one of the biggest um, bands of that time, like Muse. You may have heard of Muse, mm-hmm. Michael Safter Jaffe. He was my first really strong mentor, and he um, gave me a lot of encouragement as an artist. But he basically said, look, don't get involved in the commercial music industry because it's just a horrible culture. Like, and I, I, I saw that hanging out with him but that gave me the confidence as an artist and he, he i kept ranting all the time about what i felt was wrong with the pharmaceutical industry to him and working as a pharmacist and i mean they do they do good as well i'm not going to say it's all bad but they also you know it's not complete on a, in some very important areas and he's encouraged me to pursue something in that path instead and actually i ended up into a Tony Robbins event of all things. I got dragged along to it. I didn't really want to go to Tony <laughs> Robbins event. I didn't really know much about it, but um, that was actually one of the best things that ever happened. Like that was the first time anyone talked about diet and nutrition for your well-being and health and how you can prevent diseases. We never got taught that at university. So I was like, right, I can put Tony Robbins to a test. I actually have a Pay, you know, lots of sick patients, if they try this stuff out, which is just simply getting them off an, a factory food diet and onto a, a whole food diet, that's literally all I was doing for certain um, issues like people with diabetes, heart disease, things like that, blood pressure. And it was amazing the results I was getting just by doing that. Even people with allergies, IBS, gut issues, it's getting great um, results. And that eventually got me promoted, actually, to the head office of a big corporation in the UK. I was going to do a um, service that could have helped a lot of people uh, with this healthy shopping list idea I had. But that's all I was doing, basically, writing shopping lists for patients based on their their conditions. And those who actually took action got better, and, and the results were all there. It was really, really compelling. But for some reason, they didn't want to do it. After six months... It, it didn't happen. It got watered down. And that's when I got really stressed. Like I had a real nervous breakdown and boom, got hit with like a autoimmune disease, which is brought on, I believe, by, you know, a bit of, bit of like, there is a genetic component, but the genes don't activate unless there's certain environmental factors that are present. And in me, my case, it was just feeling like just let down by spirit, you know, by... Mm-hmm. God, like, I was like, doesn't the spirit, God, or whatever it is, the universe, want us to help, you know, lots of people on a big scale? And I just felt kind of just disillusioned. And that's the first, I think that that can affect a lot of people when they lose hope and faith. And that was the first time, like, I ever felt such bad symptoms of a disease, you know, and you're bleeding like 40 times a day. And I literally, like, I spent almost a year housebound, right? It was dreadful. Like, you're wearing, at the end of it, your doctor told, I mean, the lowest moment was the doctor told me, you're going you're gonna to have to wear a nappy because you oh. saw your pants when you're anywhere. Like, it's so hard to keep it in. And uh, so, it's, yeah, it's really nasty illness. And, and then I was told, like, you're either going to have to have your colon removed or you're going to have to be on a, a medication that's not even been tested yet. Um, and then, um, you know, it was like, well, if this is the only choices and, and I was told stress doesn't make a difference, diet doesn't make a difference, you know, basically just do as you're told. So I never went back to the hospital. I was like, I have to take this into my own hands. Like I still had a little bit of spark to, to get out of it. Um, and like, luckily somebody came to the rescue at that time. A dear friend called Swami Amakananda, and she taught me the basic foundations of pranayama, ayurveda, and yoga. And she said, look, you've got a gift. If you can actually heal yourself from this, um, you, know, you could be a great role model. And that was a big 
light shift in my energy. I really do believe a lot of these chronic diseases are your perception of reality. So when you feel there's no hope, your body kind of gives up. And the hope, bringing the hope back, showing there is uh, lots of evidence that every single cell in your body regenerates after you know several years. So you can become a whole new person. You don't have to be the victim of your genes. And all of this really, really helped me get motivation to to do to try these things which are otherwise i'd be quite skeptical of because they're like you know i alternative practices we don't really mm-hmm. use them for they're like spiritual things we, we, we're not brought up with this you know even though i come from an indian culture my mum's a doctor and you know there's a lot of medical uh practitioners in our environment in our community and you know we don't always do these things like I mean, most of them don't have a clue about Ayurveda, right? So I just put down that kind of disbelief and just went for it. And boom, that's when the first time from doing these basic, simple breathing techniques, learning the right diet I should have and the right kind of routine I should have, and I dramatically recovered within a few months. So it just shocked people. It was like, a really shocking time. There was only one other time I had, I've since had a bad relapse. And that was just going into, before I was going into a darkness retreat where I went to do a special like Tibetan uh, ritual practice where you go into darkness for seven days and seven nights. It's like a Vipassana in the dark type of meditation. But it came back and the facilitator said, look, because I said to her, I don't think I'm going to be able to go in. Like I'm literally shitting myself. I'm so sorry about the, the language, but <laughs> no, no, said, no. Like, language is fine. Yeah, okay, language cool. is fine. She basically said, like, you, you, this is a ghost manifestation of this illness for you to finally clear it karmically. Come in. And literally, that was it. I was like, all right. And then I went into this darkness retreat where, like, you can't see any, it's completely pitch black 24 hours a day. And you're, you have to use a rope to find the toilets. You have to go down like a little um, uh, rubber kind of um, marking on the floor to find your way around. And it was the most scary thing. The first two days, like, you're like shitting yourself because of the, the symptoms. And you're trying to find the toilet. And then you get lost and it's completely pitch black. And you're going like, whoa, where am I? And then they say that your souls meet in the dark. In these darkness retreats, you meet your soulmates. And there was this amazing woman. We're still really good friends. Uh, she's a, one of the top gut specialists and naturopaths in Arizona, in Tucson, Arizona. And she basically kept bumping into me and leading me. She found me somehow each time I was lost, leading me to the toilet. Because when you're in that panic mode, you can't think straight. That's That's the thing with stress as well. When you're really stressed mm-hmm. and panicky you can't think straight so when you're like lost uh you know when you're trying to go in the dark and you're like worried about you know going to the toilet i mean the fear and the panic just takes over and you just get lost so easily you just don't remember the roots you know um but yeah so that was just wild man and and i, I actually so what happened was literally everything unfolded in the darkness retreat everything started to unfold in my life or like your whole past just unravels so it was actually like what i was doing before mm-hmm. um to heal myself but it was like condensed into seven days in pitch blackness but really going deep on karmic imprints so dealing with forgiveness guilt all these unresolved emotions like anger rage the people you've wronged in the past or they've wronged you and you've never let it go all that stuff comes out and you just release, and it's like literally entity, like you're possessed, and all these, like almost like they're little devils inside you, demons, and they just start to come out. It's weird, and you, it's a very strange um, experience. It's very hard to put into words. It's like a slow out, slow drip ayahuasca trip, mm-hmm. because you produce massive amounts of melatonin, and you you just dissolve into the darkness. It's like you don't know what's the real world and your dream world. And at the end of it, I'm not kidding, I was cured up. Two days, I was, I was done. 
And I haven't had a, I haven't had a symptom since. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's you're right. That's hard to believe, but I do believe it because I've heard other stories like this. You know, the yeah. the mind the mind's a very powerful thing. And, you know, a lot of times we can make ourselves psychos, you know, through psychosomatic, we can make ourselves sick and, and make ourselves with illnesses. I mean, for me, for, I remember probably maybe 16, 18 months ago, I all of a sudden started having acid reflux out of nowhere. And, you know, I even, I, I was just curious. So I went to the doctor and everything, all my vitals, everything's good. Mm. And I was like, wow, I, I was stressed. Stress can it do that. Stress. And I, and I think for different people, start to really stress it and bring you know, have all these negative emotions all these negative manifestations you, they start to show up differently for each of us maybe some of us it's yeah. migraines maybe some of us it's you, you know you break out but in, yep. you know for me people like me i know generally when i start having acid reflux and, and GERD and that kind of stuff that's when i know like i'm really off balance so um that's right. so that's what we call um trigger symptoms mm -hmm. all right and our instructors that we teach we show them how to customize lifestyle plans based on uh, these trigger symptoms. So diagnostic tool that you're taught actually in the pharmacy, but you're meant to give them like, you know, little things that suppress the symptoms. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're like little um, over the counter stuff, like quite, quite often you bung people up. who have got runny noses with decongestion medicines, you know, or you give them cough medicine, you know, when they got a bit of a cough, which is basically just alcohol, uh, sugar and some preservatives to make it taste nice and flavors. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it's just alcohol, but it's just brandy basically, you know? Um, and so uh, what we teach our instructors is the very simple mantra from Ayurveda, you know, this is so, this is so profound, right? Basically, do you eat well? Do you sleep well? Do you shit well? Do you fuck well? Do you, um, uh, love everyone and hate nobody, then you're well, right? But if any of those things go down, right, then you know there's something up. And there's another little mantra as well. Do you wake up every day feeling enthusiastic? There's a question really. Enthusiastic to do a hard day's work, right? In, you know, or are you like, you can't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. You have no passion for life. Or are you, and actually, are you waking up compassionate and enthusiastic to be kind and caring to others? And the moment you, you wake up and you want to like stab your boss and not go to, go to your job is the moment you need to do something about it because you're stressed. And if you don't listen to these little early symptoms, trigger symptoms, you don't do a early treatment plan, all right, which we should be doing for, for all of these issues like mm -hmm viruses bacteria whatever we should have early treatment plans it will save a lot of problems um on a big scale um but the right ones if you know if that if you catch these things early we can actually save ourselves from getting chronically sick and getting autoimmune issues and other issues like high blood pressure heart disease you know high blood pressure itself as well if it's not controlled if it's elevated and it's not your normal like we have a normal our normal, not your normal might not be my normal, but we tend to want to make everybody a normal and make them fit into a box with medications. But once you know what your normal is, right? Cause everyone's unique. You have to, everyone has to find out what your normal is. Right. And that's what, another great thing with Ayurveda is you can actually asking through a series of questions and interpreting how somebody looks and appears uh, you can actually find out what your normal, your, your more of your custom lifestyle would be rather than trying to do a one size fits all. You see, the problem I had was I thought the vegan diet, raw vegan diets was a cure -all for everything because it was in the media oh, when, man. um, I had the osteoclitis. So I started like having all these fruits and like raw vegetables and man, my symptoms were so bad. I was getting emancipated. It was horrible. It was like hell. But I thought I was doing the right thing. But then I, when I started to get into Ayurveda, I realized that that's not the right diet plan for me. I should be on more of a paleo diet. So these were huge aha moments. And had I had known, had I been more informed and more aware about these things, I, would, I may have stopped myself in the first place from getting serious issues. Like, you know, like I, I, I instead of like really 
burning bridges and quitting my job and doing following my dreams and passions. I mean, there's no regrets because everything worked out in the end. Mm-hmm. But you know, I may have saved a, a lot of years of worry, you know, and yes. tension, and stress. So we often forget to listen to the the real calling within, which comes from our gut instincts, our hearts, you know, and our head, and as well as our sex. We're driven mm-hmm. by all of these hormonal systems, and the hormones actually drive us. That's how we feel and experience reality, right? Mm-hmm. And if you want to get the right result, you've got to work on that level you've got to work on the physiology you've got to learn to listen to your hormonal system and what it's trying to tell you yes yeah. and you've mentioned ayurvedic a few times and i'm going to guess that your dosha is a mostly vata vata pitta vata pitta okay yeah yeah but good I, that's good i i, I am, am a, i am on the vata scale okay and most i am pitta with vata with vata as as well but a lot of pitta yeah me same yeah. yeah, I'm similar to that. Yeah. yeah, I'm kind of balanced between the two, but pitta should be my main um, constituent. Pitta. Okay. But it it got really off balance mm-hmm. when I was in the working. Got burnt out, you know, burnt out. Yeah, you get burnt out. The pitta types. <laughs> That's probably why, like I said, one of the first manifestations would be something like an acid reflux. I guess right. Got since it. you're since Get you're it. burning. Got it. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah. Inflammation, right? And vata people tend to get more colon issues. Mm-hmm. And vata pitta people get ulcerative colon issues. Because mm-hmm. it's the fire and the colon. So the colon is more affected by the vata types, the air, mm-hmm. you know, the gas. Um, you know, so yeah. I got I got I got really unlucky and both got whacked out. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So far in life, nothing's no vata issues. It's it's just it's just always pitta. My oh, pitta is the one. My pitta is the one that's always gets uh, gets haywire. But you're an entrepreneur, man. So it makes sense. <laughs> it's gonna happen. Yeah, and then probably <laughs> a lot of a lot of times from you know training training hard as well. And then um, I would sometimes just work, or even when I was in grad school and stuff, just work hard there and then go train. And then the thing that get left out is sleep. So ah yes, you've got to. So uh, pitta types have to have good sleep. Yeah. Because they need, they charge up so much energy, they need to recover from that. Yeah. 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 The Vata so. types are different. They can be a bit lighter with their sleep. Yeah. And then, um, so I guess just to explain, in case listeners don't know, since um, what a little bit, just a, like a basic understanding of what Ayurvedic is. Yes. So the Vedas were the ancient texts that are like considered some of the most ancient uh I hate to say religious, they're not really religious. It's more of a documentation of, of how to live a life, right? And how to govern systems, how to um, basically create and relate and live in this reality effectively, right? So the Vedas was a very intricate system and there were many different uh, books within the Vedas. And one of them is the Ayurveda, which is the whole system of medicine from ancient India, which has... It even has cataract surgery in it. It even has like heart surgery. It even has brain surgery. It has um, a pharmacopoeia. It has, um, you know, a complete understanding of, of respiratory system, of uh, how to exercise effectively, but also to understand the mind and how to prescribe, uh, you know, protocols to... Uh, that aligned with you to bring restore balance of homeostasis, and in order to create a harmonic harmonious system, everybody needs to follow a good lifestyle because then we can be self sufficient, and when we're self sufficient, we tend to get on better with other people, right? And mm-hmm. you know, and when we are, we're not having these neurological neurotic tendencies and and crazy uh, like. Uh, attachments to emotions, you know, and things from the past, we can actually be free. We can be liberated of the things in society that causes conflict, war, and, and competition rather than collaboration and, and, you know, compassion. So the Ayurvedic system really was a whole way of life on how to deal with this physical body and the mind and this relationship together. So 
the understanding of Ayurveda, because the Vedic system is really, in my opinion, quantum science itself. It's the quantum, like, worldview, right? And Ayurveda is like, if you look at it from the point of view, it's a quantum science of healing, right? It makes more sense. So everything, according to quantum science, is energy, right? And therefore, according to Ayurveda, the Ayurvedic system, we are all energy, prana. And we have doshas, which are types of these energies, okay, different forms of energy. So vata is the air form of energy. Pitta is the fire form of energy. And kapha is the earth form of energy, right? So it's the, the matter, it's the physical things, the stuff. Right, fire is the the, the burning combustion that's going on. The mitochondria in your cells is the drive, and the vata, the air, is the ethereal space. It's the uh, consciousness. It's the creation. It's creativity. It's where inspiration comes from. Yeah, that's why airy people, vata mm-hmm. types, and if you look at a lot of the artists, the best, they're all quite small, skinny dudes, right? I look at look at like even Hollywood actors. They're quite often they're quite small and vata nature and then they have to beef themselves up right except for those action heroes but you look at the directors and writers there is a tendency for that people to look a similar way and then also be of a similar nature right so your procreatory is your nature your characteristics so everyone has a core foundational one or it may be a combination of some of those elements but most people are on the whole predominant in one like mm-hmm. you said you're predominant in the fire and pizza I am kind of a bit between the two. I switch from each side a little bit, but I've found a way to manage that. Um, but when I was like doing crazy hedonistic lifestyles uh, and playing a lot uh, in clubs, I was definitely more on the crazy vata end of the spectrum, away with the fairies a little bit. Um, but getting into like a disciplined, structured routine, forming a business, being an entrepreneur, is an amazing way to exercise the fire. Because I believe that we're all can, can morph into different forms based on the understanding of energy. And that you don't have to just be a Vata person and always follow that. You can bring a bit of balance to the other energies. They're the Kapha types are the homely uh, family types. They, they like to sit and eat and socialize with, with the groups. But under different, and they're usually the very loyal, hardworking grafter manager types who, who just are steady and reliable, you know, and just get the job done kind of people. But under stress is when it becomes very interesting. Because when one of these energy types goes off a little bit of balance, other characteristics come out. So with Vata types, when we're under stress, we can become hypercritical. We can, we can have very fast, erratic thoughts, and, and we may say things that we don't mean very quickly because the the spark of consciousness goes in and out of us very quick right um and but we can also um like become very introverted and disappear off and live in you know our um like castles and uh, plot you know um things for the rest of the world but um the pitta types when they're under stress they can get very angry full of rage (laughs) and like, um, you know, really be bossy and bully people. But um, they can also be very powerful leaders as well. But under stress, they can actually become crazy dictators but and militants and go to war and stuff. But the Kafir types, when they're under stress, they can actually, you know, overindulge in food. Um, They can become very sulky and they can also... Just be lazy and slothy. But when they're in their element, they're hardworking, they're like really caring, generous, fun to be around. You know, so um, we can all have a balance of each of these. We can have different characteristics of each one. Some of the people listening to this may relate to some of what I'm saying here and, and feel that they align to some of this. But you can even easily do a test. We have one on our Soma Breath site. If you just look up Soma Breath Dorsha Quiz, there's also some other good ones out there from other people. You can just look it up. Um, and uh, that way you can find out for yourself. And what we train our instructors to do is to understand this in a very applicable way to modern day time. Like 
you know, to really understand the kind of common symptoms people have. And, and to, we're not going to, we're not teaching people on the, on the deepest level. Like, because in India, if you go to a good Ayurvedic doctor, they can test your pulse and they can tell you exactly what's wrong with you and diagnose you just from your pulse, which is fascinating. But we're, we're not talking about that level. We're talking more on a, like, just a simple diagnostic level to find ways to help people. Obviously, if symptoms are too bad, like, there's a checklist for that and they get referred straight to a doctor. But um, ultimately, we're just giving people the right lifestyle plan according to who they truly are, their truth, and to help them find out more about who they are. Because I think that this yogic system, Ayurveda uh, is also, I would say, one of the kind of branches of that, but yoga is also a branch of the of the Vedic system, right? Um, uh, the yogic system, which is like really like the mastery of self and understanding of self and the, system, the technique to bring peace to your mind, tranquility in mind. Um, if you really understand, if you really follow yoga, you really should take a look into the Ayurvedic systems. It's, it's super profound. And, um, the, when you, when you live this kind of lifestyle, I, I mean, since I've been going down this and learning agents, my life has just got so much better. You know, there's all these techniques of cold water, hot water, you know, sauna, steam, all these kind of shamanic practices, they have these already in the Ayurvedic system. A lot of stuff is already there, you know, that we're starting to remember now. It is, which is very fascinating that just so much, you know, it's so much wisdom is from the ancient practices. And, yeah, there's lot, you know, lots of them as well. Chinese because, medicine, but they're all in, amazing in, stuff. In the weightlifting yeah. world, you used to they they say you're uh, ectomorph, mesomorph, endomorph, and yeah, those descriptions thing. those descriptions are really just what we just talked about a vata pitta kapha. It's exactly. the same. It's the same exact it's a thing. translation. It's a translation. Yeah, that's all it is. <laughs> and uh, and so you know, it, it's a very good point. When I am a little more mindful of my dosha, um. Th things do run smoothly because what you just talked about with those doshas is spot on, especially with the pitta yes. becoming. And I, this is, but I do know, I have, a, I do know my vata is there because I will isolate and just like um, go mm. off on my own. But like you said, the uh, the dark side of the pitta, if you want to call it that, being a little more militant, angry, snapping, you know, that's it's very true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of so, course. Yeah, so let's 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 dive in a little bit to uh, uh, breath work and soma breath, and kind of like what what what's the difference? Um, what's your philosophy is around that and everything? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the first stuff that I I learned, um, which really made the the big impact, was the breathing techniques from pranayama. Pranayama means energy control, right? Pranayama. So it's the control of energy in your body and. You know, respiration is how we produce energy body. You breathe in oxygen, burns like a fire inside your mitochondria, and this produces ATP, which is the currency of energy in your body, right? So when you, if you, under, if you think, if you understand, yeah, that everything is on a quantum level is energy. We're all energy. So the control of energy is very attractive. Imagine to the ancients, learning how to control energy if you go very deep into pranayama it's a system of different techniques it, there's many different techniques but um the deeper and deeper you go into this practice it's all about achieving a state of complete control itself you know where i mean there's there's ways of creating magic moving objects uh manifesting things you know the, the yogis in india have all these magical techniques but i i'm yet to see complete proof of them but somebody who you're probably quite familiar with is wim hof who demonstrates some powers of the mind over the body you know he's amazing and he uses breathing techniques as well to do that okay and uh and you know so he's he's an amazing yogi as well and refined these techniques himself for, for his purposes but um if you think about it Breathing is so powerful because he showed that the autonomic nervous system can be modulated through the breath, right? 
And this is something also they knew about thousands of years ago because with breathing control techniques like extending your exhalation, uh, you know, doubling your exhale time versus your inhale time, breathing in different rhythms, uh, holding your breath in various ways, these are all different techniques in pranayama and they all serve to create different affecting the energy in the body, modulating energy, directing it, even to the point where you can move, create energy and harness its potential to heal specific areas of the body. So there are all these different, it was like a pharmacy of different breathing techniques. You can have breathing techniques for unblocking your nose, for clearing congestion, for clearing constipation, for, um, you know, creating more energy, more stamina, um, going to sleep. So there's a whole library of different techniques. So in Soma Breath, we I'm trying to bring all of them with a scientific understanding behind them based on what we know out in research. And uh, then also what is another key side of the Vedic system, which is music. In fact, one of the Vedas is completely dedicated to music. And if you listen to ancient Indian like classical music, it's so intricate. It's so amazingly produced. I mean, it's not uh, produced is not the right word, but composed, right? It's, it's like the way each note um, works with the other notes and the strings come in with the keys and it's just phenomenal. So, but they said that this music was designed to also affect the, the pranic system and the consciousness. So music was a, a core part as well of the healing process and also the consciousness, altered states consciousness enhanced process already thousand years ago. But we kind of forgot about that and it kind of got polluted and corrupted, I'd say, scene mm -hmm. um, a little bit. But then there's also then the underground dance scene, which is one of those raids where people take MDMA and stuff, but yeah, instead of going to church, very it's fun. like <laughs> people have incredible spiritual experiences. I did anyway. I don't know about everyone there, but I certainly had like profound divine connections to God. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of um, interesting to me that, you know, how music, how much music can on Consciousness. When I started to look into, there are various studies showing like music and its effect on brain waves and uh, eliciting altered states of consciousness. So I had that background already, you know, being somebody promote rays, put on and create that kind of music. But then I was thinking, like, what if I was to, because in pranayama techniques, you count in rhythms, right? You, you count inhale time for a certain number of seconds, exhale for a certain number, like breathe in for four, out for eight. Repeat. Mm -hmm. Now, the more precise you are to that time, exactly that ratio, it's been shown in studies since, okay, that um, that has benefits, like, like the four-rate breathing pattern, which is around five breaths per minute, has amazing, anything around six breaths per minute and lower has been shown in studies to be amazing for deep rejuvenation, relaxation, and um, creating a sense of positive energy. And even at 10 breaths per minute, okay, it's a breathing rate, it's 10 breaths per minute. Um, let's say you breathe in for two and out for four, right? You can actually create, that's like, that works out 10 breaths per minute, a very powerful feeling of like, you f like bliss and relaxation and, and generating a positive sense of energy where you feel refreshed and restored. And, um, and it's had, these breathing patterns also have uh, been shown in studies to have effects on lowering blood pressure, improving heart rate variability, which is another score, you know. So, so these are pranayama practices. It's called slow rechaka. And rhythmic breathing is a core foundation of pranayama, okay, where you breathe in perfect rhythms. Okay, so there's a guy called Swami Rama who talks about breathing in two one ratio and also in perfect harmonic ratio heart math did uh, studies on this as well breathing in for five seconds out for five seconds and then also have setting the intention uh, 
So, you know, guided meditation and setting intentions before guided meditations, which is a, also another part of the yogic practice, uh, is um, the, actually the basis of hypnotherapy. If you look at hypnotherapy, it was definitely inspired by a guided meditation technique. They're pretty much the same thing. Okay. So I started to like, well, what really woke me up and triggered me actually to, to create my own thing based around all of this was when I read The Power of the Subconscious Mind by Dr. Joseph Murphy, who was a pharmacist as well as a Christian scientist and an Ayurvedic practitioner and a yogi. And he basically fused the two things together. Scientific prayers was what he came up with, which was basically a way to speak to the unconscious mind, to reprogram the things that have gone wrong, the viruses that get created, okay, the thought, the bad thought programs, so that um, you can heal yourself. Because he believed that most diseases are a result of a issue with the subconscious mind. And now we've done studies on, you know, uh, psychedelics and shown how, um, you know, one dose of psychedelics can kind of change the default mode network so dramatically, the activity, and allow you to alter your perception of yourself so profoundly that you could cure severe depression with it. Same thing with therapy, right? So what they were talking about is a default mode network. But I believe that when you're reprogramming your mind, when you're stepping out, you're becoming like a, a software programmer of your unconscious reality, right? So imagine you have an operating system, that's your mind, your subconscious mm -hmm. mind, or other than conscious mind, and your conscious mind in the right brainwave state can actually self-program. That's what I believe. Because I believe you get conditioned from seven years right? The first seven years of your life by the media, TV, your environment. This is the time when like regression hypnotherapists take you back so that you can speak to your past self and, and forgive it or the person who created that imprint in that time that led to certain behavior patterns that led to a disease in the future or a dispute or a bad habit or a fear or a phobia. So hypnotherapy is amazing because it deals with this first conditioning. But you see there's some imprints that are very, very difficult to shake and the higher yogic rituals which involve a lot of breathing techniques and moving energy okay and various shamanic style practices the darkness retreat is one of the most powerful of all but we were doing extremely advanced practices in the darkness retreat uh, ridding these these early imprints the first two are the hardest to shift but what i believe is with our soma breath system what i've developed is an approach that brings in the music because the music helps you alter the brainwave state so you can get into that state where you can consciously program the mind, right? And it does it by taking your mind, your, your attention away from the voice in your head. We have this voice in your head, the monkey mind, you could call it, or mm -hmm. it's the default mode now, it's your ego that basically worries about the future and gets hung up on the past and it distracts you from being present and if you're caught up in this voice in your head, it's really hard to enjoy life, right? And that tension that's created by that sympathetic activity means you get diminished blood flow around your body. And so just meditating is a way to, you know, meditating your breath is a way to switch off that part of the mind. When you meditate on music, if you just listen, tune into music, it also switches off the attention from that mind. And then if you actually breathe, to that music with a beat in a perfect rhythm, that then brings in the, these pranayama techniques that are designed to switch off sympathetic and switch on parasympathetic. When you breathe in a rhythm, when you extend your exhalation, this is the real core foundation of certain breath, is the extended exhalation where you double your exhale time versus your inhale time. You breathe in a rhythm, you breathe out for eight, in for four, out for eight, that kind of rhythm, or in for four and uh, sorry, out for four and in for two, right? And you keep doing mm -hmm. that for several minutes. You directly switch off the parasympathetic, uh, the, the sympathetic, and switch on the parasympathetic, and you feel like you're in a rest state, relaxed state. And then, when you do rhythmic breathing like this, you sh you you are now actually as a form of slight hyperventilation. Okay, so what you then do after that is you follow up 
with a breath retention. Okay, you hold your breath. And when you hold your breath after the exhale, you can then trigger a state where you quieten the mind so much, the activity of the mind. Because you're holding your breath on the exhale. Your thoughts are activated, right, by your breathing. Breath produces energy in your body. But when you breathe in, you get inspired. You inspire. And that's when thoughts come in, okay? If you hold your breath, you expire, and you pause life for a moment, and you go into the deepest meditative states. Now, yogis up in the Himalayas, they you know, expanded on this, right? This ability to hold your breath to the point where they could hold their breath for such a long time that they would go into this amazing, like, samadhi nirvana-like state, okay? I'm... I'm, I'm still training myself to get to these points. It's not easy. <laughs> and, but they would also train at high altitudes, live in high altitudes where uh, carbon dioxide levels are much higher, oxygen is much lower, right? And they're adapted to this very low oxygen environment and they achieve this split state. Now, we can mimic this somewhat mm-hmm. and benefit from getting into state because it has many physical health benefits of Intermittent hyperoxic hypoxic treatment, where you breathe high oxygen followed by low oxygen um, in a protocol. And it has amazing effects of fitness, stamina, healing people from different like inflammatory issues and other issues. And it's the, the science out there is, is, is very conclusive to me. So these pranayama techniques, which revolve around this breath retention, which is called kumbhaka, were some of the most revered techniques and were kept secret as well, actually. In fact, you would need to do a lot of other training um, to prove that you're worthy to do these advanced techniques. Hmm. But, you know, over the years, things have become more clear and they can be done very safely and effectively. Um, So when you hold your breath in a certain way, like that, you can also create this adaptation to a low oxygen environment. That's where the magic happens. Because it, what, what it seems is the ancients realized that oxygen causes a lot of problems for us. Because it's really hard to live without it, but it's also hard to live with it. Because if you look at the system of pranayama, it's designed to train you to breathe less, not more to actually calm your breathing down so that you don't even need to breathe at all if, if you don't need to. That's the ultimate states of, of ascended masters, right? Where they, they, they've, they've um, basically overridden the desire to even breathe. Okay, that's the ultimate mastery of self. But there is some science to this that makes sense, okay, if I explain it. So basically, if you look at the animal kingdom, Animals that live a long time, like elephants and turtles, they have very slow breathing rates and they can hold their breath for quite dramatically long period. Like whales hold their breath for two hours at a time and they live over 200 years. Now, the opposite end of the spectrum, rats and mice, they don't live long at all and they breathe very fast, like 150 plus breaths per minute. But they only live like one year right? One or two years, except for this weird anomaly to this rule. The naked mole rat lives, guess how long? Um, I'm going to say a hundred years. Not that long. 30 years, right? (laughs) But it it lives three of these 30 times longer than a, a normal rat, right? But it's a rat. And the difference is it lives underground in a hypoxic environment, and it can hold its breath for 18 minutes at a time. There's something there, there's correlation, right? Between slow breathing, breath retention, and longevity. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Cool. So now let's back this up with mechanism because correlation causation on its own is not good enough at an argument. So what's the mechanism? Okay. Well, one thing, stem cells hate oxygen. They live in hypoxic environments 
when you induce a period of low oxygen in the body, stem cells get activated. What do stem cells do? They have the power to rejuvenate, restore any other cell in your body. That's why we have stem cell clinics selling like treatments for fifty to hundred thousand dollars, right? More mechanisms. All right. So stem cells can get activated in this low oxygen environment. The father of oxidative stress, Helmut Sees, he says that although it's very difficult to live without oxygen, it's also very difficult to live with oxygen because of this problem of oxidative stress, right? Because mm -hmm. what happens when you leave something like a car out too long in, in nature in the, with the air exposed, it, right? So metal rusts. So we also have a rusting effect due to oxygen. Oxygen itself, the combustion of it in the mitochondria produces free radicals as a byproduct. So that also causes wear and tear. So we're just like a car in a certain way, the combustion engine. If you've got a really old beaten down car where you haven't done the engine up, right, what happens? It doesn't last very long. Keeps breaking it down. You have to keep seeing the mechanic. That's your doctor, right? Mm-hmm. But if you get one of these finely tuned Mercedes-Benz, right, designed to run forever, okay, it's finely tuned, it doesn't use much gas, cars chug along and take up loads of gas, but these new cars, they're really efficient, they don't use much gas, and they can run for a much longer time, they don't have much wear and tear. So the process of respiration creates wear and tear. So if you need to breathe less, if you produce less free radicals, And if you don't have that rusting effect, right, then what? You can live longer. And what's another point that's very important is what triggers your brain to breathe in the first place is your carbon dioxide levels. Carbon dioxide is the signal to make you inhale again. If you have very poor carbon dioxide, and unfortunately a lot of people have poor carbon dioxide, okay, which means tolerance which means that they can't handle holding their breath even for like 15-20 seconds which means they end up actually quite often hyperventilating and breathing at a faster rate than they need to but if you train yourself right and this Buteyko, the Buteyko method came up with amazing system of reduced breathing exercises also based on yoga pranayama he showed that actually most diseases arise because of low body tissue oxygenation, which is caused by either low CO2 tolerance or over-breathing, where you breathe too much. And when you breathe too fast, more than you need to, and why that is, and I'll tell you in a minute why that happens, you breathe out all the carbon dioxide. If you breathe out all the carbon dioxide, right, you basically um, don't have this necessary component required for getting oxygen off your red blood cells and into body tissue cells. And that is the Bohr effect. Carbon dioxide is essential for getting oxygen off your red blood cells. Now, you see, your, your cells are breathing all the time, constantly breathing, right? So your body has a very special way of telling your blood, telling where to drop off the oxygen in your bloodstream. Because it doesn't want to just drop it off everywhere. That wouldn't be efficient. So it drops off with the cells that are respiring the most, right? That's the ones produce the most carbon dioxide. But if you over-breathe, you end up breathing all that carbon dioxide out and you get red blood cells holding onto that oxygen. And that leads to low body tissue oxygenation of your muscles, uh, joints, and that leads to disease. So what does slowing your breathing rate down and, and actually learning to do a few breathing te uh, control techniques of holding your breath? It raises CO2 levels. In your, in your CO2 tolerance, you get better body tissue oxygenation. What happens? You get healed. Yeah, I was, um, <laughs> I was convinced yeah. by this, um, which I never even knew that about the, uh, the rat and then the elephant. I never put two and two together. <laughs> yeah. Never, never put two strange, and two together. It? When it, it is very strange with that. And um, speaking of the Buteco, I actually have a, I, a train started probably a year ago. Uh, I had one of those masks after I talked to Patrick, and uh, oh. I interviewed I interviewed Patrick a while a while ago. Patrick McEwen. And, yeah. Yeah, he's he's a very smart guy. Yes, very much. Like I probably after we got done talking, I, I had to go take a nap. 
<laughs> but uh, but yeah, he really helped me because um, and with the nasal breathing and just starting with two in and four out and other different methods, and like my HRV dramatically went down. I mean, not sorry, dramatically went up. up. Sorry, yeah, went up. Resting heart rate went down. Respiratory rate also uh, improved as well. Also, nice. allergies, nasal congestion doesn't really happen anymore because of that. And nice. I started I started sleeping in um, some mouth tape. I didn't like the ones that just cover my lips. I got too nervous. So I have the ones that are fitted around my mouth. Cool. And that helped as well because I had an issue of some mornings waking up and I had all this like dry stuff in my mouth, you know, when you sleep with your mouth open. Mm. So, um, yeah, so that, that's, that's a, so that, it, that works. Yes. So it does. what I did was I took all of that wisdom, that philosophy and, and thought, how do we put this into a simple routine that everyone can do during the day? And that became our daily doses, which is a combination of rhythmic breathing, breath retention, but with a guided uh, meditation and my music that drives the whole thing. Because the music is a beat to it with a rhythm, a tempo that's at 60 beats per minute. So your, count, your breath is counting in seconds. And it's very, very like, like kind of exhilarating but like very powerful music too you know like if you if you i don't know if you tested it out but it's the people just love it sometimes get it hooked on it for the music alone so now i've got a, a, a technique that you can just do every day it's a way to set your intentions for the start of the day it's a way to get the benefits of rhythmic breathing of breath retention but then we also teach you the the um different exercises you can do to get the energy moving as well with the soma yoga which is a traditional form of yoga uh different stretching techniques but also tantric shaking shamanic shaking techniques and other and static dance things like that to put into a fun routine you can in the morning it's not just like going to um you know the gym and lifting weights it's actually something that will give you quite a high impact like exercise anyway can do at home, you know, if you're somebody who doesn't like going to the gym and doing that, or if you are somebody who likes going to the gym, you can do it before your workout. So I tried to make something that I would do because I'm mm -hmm. not very good at compliance. And in pharmacy, we were told about Me either. the most important thing is patient compliance. If they do it every day, they're more likely to get the result. So I'm the same, like if you can, but people don't do things. The reason people don't do things every day in a routine is because they don't enjoy the routine. So you're going to make the routine, routine fun. And that's that's what whole philosophy of soma breath is. Yeah, that's that's a that's a very key thing. You know, working with people myself is to try to make it fun. Um, not everyone. I I'm not I'm okay with just like plumbing in through and mucking it through, even if it's not fun. But I realize that not that's a lot more of, people, of a pitta. Yeah, life. that's just my that's that's my done, man. that's my pitta coming out again, where yeah, you yeah, just yeah. go through it and you know yeah yeah. So um, yeah, because I had a I had a group that was a training for a marathon with me and they, they all fallen off because they got bored with it. Wow. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And yeah. also the other thing is the, um, the fact that we don't just, it's not just one technique. There's, it's like a pharmacy of breathing techniques. So if you want to fix your constipation. If you want to go to sleep, if you want to, um, we have a swallowing air technique, drinking air, mm -hmm. which helps kill the bad germs in your gut. Oxygen is actually used in colonic clinics and, other gut uh, clinics as a treatment for the for uh, the bowels, and in fact, there's an Ayurvedic technique where you'd squeeze air up someone's butt because the air is known <laughs> to kill the the bad bacteria in the gut. If somebody's having a lot of bad gas and diarrhea, the oxygen kills anaerobic bacteria that causes that. So um, uh, basically, when you drink air through your esophagus, you can actually fill your stomach with oxygen which kills the bad bad germs but then it and like if you're somebody who suffers from heartburn every now and then this is one of the best techniques you can do because it it actually the air suppresses the the acid it's amazing it like dampens the energy of the the fire and then the, the air passes through your colon and clears through the gut and clears your, your germs from your gut you do that every day you know throughout the day for a few days, if you have like halitosis, if you have like reflux, you could actually fix it. 
because it can actually kill H. pylori in the gut. So my, wow. my, my doctor who teaches me all this, he's, uh, he's actually um, a doctor, he's a yogi in the Rishikesh, the Himalayas. And um, I went to train with him. That's, that was where I went really deep into all of the incredible healing aspects of pranayama and yoga. Yeah, there's so much, so much to un- unfold here. Um, I want to be mindful of your time as we go to wrap this up. We'll have to do a part two, where we yeah. dive in, dive into some of the um, techniques and maybe even do some on here. Sure. But um, one of the last things is, what does optimal health mean to you? Optimal health. Um, I think I, I answered it a little bit earlier when I said it's those questions, right? You got to ask yourself: Do you eat well? Do you sleep well? Do you shit well? Do you fuck well? Do you, um, you know, have carry no hate and you and you love people or love everybody like a hippie? Or and do you wake up every day enthusiastic to do a hard day's work? And um, do you uh, have compassion, enthusiasm, you know, to to be kind to people? Then you're well. But the moment you don't answer those questions, any of those then you need to check in with it. You're not having optimal health. This comes from Dr. B.M. Hegday, who is the world's greatest doctor, in my opinion. The guy should win, like, the highest awards you can, which he already has. In India, he won one of the highest awards you can get. And he's um, very, very outspoken, very knowledgeable. I love his stuff, uh, his philosophy on life. And this, this is... I want to, like, take the you know, the great wisdom of people like that and share it and give them the credit, obviously, and share it with the world because we need this more than ever, man. We need people to to wake up and realize, um, you know, that we have the power to transform. Absolutely. We really Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Absolutely. We you have know. it. It comes from within. Yeah. It, um, you know, optimal, I always say optimal health starts inside. It doesn't come from any... Um, any outside source, any outside person, any agency or nothing. It, it, it's all the power is within you. You got more than yes. enough. So um, I'm going to look. I'm going to look him up, and uh, and start reading up on him as well. So yeah, there's a lot of things I got to look go up. Down a rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, there's. I, I've been taking notes. So there's a lot of. I'm excited to come back and actually listen to this when I can focus on listening and not just trying to you know focus on the, the conversation here and the interview. Mm-hmm. But um, where can listeners um keep up with you and, and um, with all your adventures. Yeah. Uh, check us out at um, somabreath.com. Sign up for the free masterclass. You can check out one of our tracks, test it out. Uh, also, we have um, our Facebook group, Soma Breath. We also have a YouTube channel, Soma Breath. Uh, with lots of free content. Um, I give away quite a lot of free stuff on there. Um, different techniques as well. Um, yeah. All right. And Instagram, obviously Instagram. Okay. Get me on Instagram, Niraj Naik Official. I'll give you all the links. All right, and um, I can. I'll I'll include all this in the show notes as well for listeners. I will collect all that. And um, other than that, man, thank you so much. This has been an awesome conversation. Like I said, we're definitely going to do a part two because there is so much to unravel um, here. Yes. And I think this is so beneficial for any entrepreneur, any hard charging person out there who. You know, you need that yin and yang in your life, that balance in your life. So, because a lot of times we're running on sympathetic constantly, and um, you know, we want to live two hundred years, like elephants, even longer. So, <laughs> yes. So, with exactly. that, without without further ado, listeners, stay awesome out there, be limitless, and as always, go be superhuman. Peace. <laughs>